The following podcast is an Embassy Row production. Welcome to another episode of The Shaken and Stirred Show. I'm Nigel Barker in Woodstock, New York, and I'm here with my co-host in not-so-sunny beach somewhere, Kent, even, in England. Tom, it looks pretty miserable where you are. You, you, you actually FaceTimed me today, and it was it was pretty bleak, i got to say. It looked like quite desperate. It's midsummer. It's just past the midsummer, the longest day point. It's... The end of June, we're coming into July, it's 14 degrees, it's raining. It's, uh, you know, I, I, it, yeah, what can I say? It's, oh, but the great thing is, we live in, this is the great thing about the UK, is we all live in kind of this, this vain hope that the long-term forecast says it's going to be a beautiful summer. Well, you know, that's all well and good, but someone had pointed out that we're already halfway through the goddamn thing. So maybe the second half of the summer is going to perk up, but I can't see it right now on the forecast. And yeah, it's cold, it's wet. And, you know, I get down to Kent, nothing works. There's no internet in this hotel. And as for cocktails, my God, they were advertising one on the bar of my hotel. I, I, I gave it a dry run earlier on and it just, I, you know, the face I, I, I pulled isn't what I want to repeat on camera for this show. So uh, I'll go. get to that. It's worse than when a you know, cocktail itself gives you the dry runs. Which is, nice and uh, warm up there. You know, nice and warm up there in upstate New York. It's absolutely boiling. We're in, the, right. in the 90s. Yeah. You know, in fact, funnily enough, there was a little thunderstorm. I love the fact that on the Shaken and Stirred show, we love to give you all a little weather update, right, as we, as we break in. It's very English, by the way. The English favourite subject of conversation of all time is the weather. Well, uh, that's because part... we have weather and we don't have a climate. We, we have weather. That's, we, we do not have, we have weather. That's it. That's it. That is it. That is indeed it. And in fact, you know, most English people enjoy a miserable summer just with the hopes of having an Indian summer. Right. It's the weirdest expression of all time. And we've discussed that on the show before, but it has nothing to do with India, which, by the way, I think everyone thought it did. It is, in fact, a Native American thing. But we'll get to that on another show because Tom is bound to have an Indian summer at some point this year. Um, oh. Tom, what are you drinking then? If you didn't want to have well, the, house, the house cocktail. I go for that. I couldn't go for house cocktail. I asked them if they could get creative or something. And I was met with that wonderful English. No, we do one cocktail um, and it's our elderflower fizz. Uh, and I went, isn't that an elderflower Collins? And they went, no, it's an elderflower anyway, anyway, I gave, I, I, I tried it, I gave it a dry run. It, it didn't work. But I tell you what does work. And then I thought, well, where am I? And I'm in a hotel. You can see from... You'll see from the window behind me, right, that that is unlike, it, it, I am in a hotel that, that was frequented by Horatio Nelson, Lord Nelson, our great battle commander. Um, and it's a, it's an old, it, was a, it was a house before, and he used to come and stay here quite a lot. It's very near a castle built by Henry VIII in the, in the shape of Tudor Rose. So it's, it, it, we, you can see France from here. So basically, you can see France, that that was for, for several hundred years. Those were going to, you know, those were the <clears throat> that was the kind of the risky, you know, those are the people who are going to invade us. So it's steeped in history, um, but the bar and what's going on in there isn't steeped in history. So literally, seriously, I've gone for a vodka and tonic. 
<laughs> oh my God. After um, all of that, after the yeah. Tudor Rose, after uh, Horatio Nelson, yeah. after Don't I can I see France. So I thought you were going to come up with a Tudor Rose cocktail. I thought you may have some great French wine. I thought there might be some Horatio Nelson rum cocktail, rum, rum, talking about maybe. the ocean and the water. But instead, rum. a vodka bloody t- You got that out of the fridge, didn't you? The, bloody, listen, the fridge in the, in the hotel room. My, the bar here, they wouldn't let me behind the bar. And all they'd say is, no, the only rum you can have, the only rum we got on offer is a rum and coke. And I doubt very much lord nelson was drinking rum and coke so i just I gave imagine. he might have had rum and coke which is completely different um I... but i on the other hand decided to up the ante and look at this oh. delicious little cocktail now i've decided i've really got into the whole cocktail making business myself now at home pandemic inspired no doubt but i as you, you all know i like tequila so this is a tequila based drink it's actually reposado um and it's the the volcan reposado i use this time around which is rather delicious um from vo- the volcano I- in mexico where, where in, in tequila uh, apparently where is where it's made um but it is a ginger margarita now i made it myself I've come to making these flavored simple syrups, which are really fun. It's a great way, actually, if you're going to make a anything with vodka and you want to add a little splash of flavor to it, you know, make your own simple syrup. Super easy. It's equal parts uh, sugar to water. You boil it down and then you put in whatever you're going to put in. In this case, it was fresh ginger that I'd sliced up, put inside. Uh, the water, let it steep for 30 minutes. Then you crush it up and I strained it all and you freeze it. And so it's really uh that really is the essence of the ginger that's in there other than that i use half the amount of um cointreau that i normally would in a regular margarita because i don't want to be too orange so it's half an ounce of 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 uh, cointreau two ounces of reposado from volcan and a, a half an ounce of the simple syrup shaken and then with a an actual another half ounce of freshly squeezed lime juice and on top of that, look at that brown rim on the thing. That is, in fact, a spicy lime salt sugar rim salt that I bought that smells a bit like a curry. And cheers, by the way. Cheers, my mate, my friend. Chin chin. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, it's delicious. It's absolutely fantastic. And you know, I like a lot of curries, and I know in England people like a lot of curries. I discovered that tequila goes really well with a curry, mate. And a margarita. margaritas were designed to go with Mexican food. Mexican food is quite spicy by the nature of it. And oftentimes when you're drinking a curry, or eating a curry rather, in, in, in England, you're often said, oh, yeah, it's no point having wine, it'll ruin it. It's no point having this, drink a beer. That's the only thing that you could. But actually, for everyone out there who wants to know, margarita and tequila goes really well with the curry so there check it out now booze news i love this not the nine o'clock news tom but booze news by the way do you remember the show not the nine o'clock news uh, yeah I forget yeah brilliant hilarious well i kind of figure you know i i i feel that we're not the nine o'clock news because we're clearly not <laughs> anyway i've got some booze news for you um fool's gold have you heard of Brewdog? Well, the Scottish brewery is under investigation after a promotional campaign. 
because they were talking about, they were touting the fact they had hidden solid gold cans of their beer. And uh, people were out there looking to find them, that these cans were worth approximately £15,000 each or $21,000. And it turns out when people did find them, that they were in fact little more than brass cans with a little bit of gold around the outside. And if at most were valued at about £500, but they'd been talking to people about how valuable they were. So um, they are in fact under investigation and it, it's kind of a, a little disappointing for all those out there who were, were hoping to find this. There is a little bit of gold, it's apparently a three millimeter layer, like a gold plate on the can, but as I said, only worth 700 bucks, 500 pounds. And the advertising and standards agency is currently reviewing the particulars of the case. So beware people when someone promises you gold, it could just be fool's gold. So to that, cheers. Um, booze news, my friend. Next, our guest today is a serial entrepreneur, which I'm not quite sure what the serial part means. It sounds a little terrifying. Film producer and investor. We've had a lot of people on the show. We've never had anyone that I've introduced as an investor. That I also, I mean, a lot of people invest, but this is a title of investor. So we're going to get into that too. She's established one of the first and more successful tech incubators in Los Angeles in 2011 and has invested in over 20 plus startups. I think I might have a few ideas for you. Um, as a TV and film producer, she's behind shows like Panda vs. Aliens, Echo Boomers and Cypher with new shows in production. Of course she does, I think eight at the moment. And she's also a star in her own right from the hit show Bling Empire on Netflix. Please welcome Kelly Me Lee. Kelly, how are you? Hi guys, how are you? Very, good. very good, wonderful. How lovely to see you. So nice to see you. Any excuse I can to have an afternoon drink, middle of the afternoon, I am there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're one of us. Kelly, what are you drinking? I'm actually having a classic dirty martini, extra dirty, extra bruised. Look at so that. With, this, with that blue cheese stuffed olive. So yeah, that's my drink. That is your drink. When, where, where did, when did you first start having the, the dirty martini? And I like it extra dirty with the blue cheese too. I don't even know what was the first one. I, I think this has always been my go-to drink. Maybe like subconsciously, I want to be a Bond girl or something. I don't know, but I've always loved dirty martinis. I think like, cause I also, I don't like when drinks are really sugary and sweet. I feel like I have a really fun time and clean buzz on a dirty martini without the hangover. You know, it's also my yeah. wife's go-to. Oh yeah? go-to is the dirty martini and, it, and I think by the way the Bond girl you know is a good way to go I've always seen myself as Bond as well so I get it it's, it's uh you know it's a match made Tom you could be Felix yeah thanks no, I, <laughs> yeah I, I could be sitting here although I'm so jealous of you guys right now. You're in LA in, in the beautiful, I can see it's beautifully sunny and, and warm there. Night does in 90 degrees in upstate New York. And I'm in midsummer by the seaside in England, but in, in literally 15 degrees, cold, rainy, and um, just, I'm not quite sure. I, come, I, came, I came to the seaside to just have a couple of days away from home, which is the most landlocked place in the United Kingdom, and I've come to get a bit of fresh air, but it's literally like fresh air and rain, a kind of horizontal rain that you just have to, wow. anyway, anyway, I've got to try and get on the sun, sunny vibe somehow, I don't know, you, know, you guys make me feel, you know. I'm going to be of... 
Greece next week. So if you feel like coming on that side, I'm going to be on your your side of the the the, the world. Yeah, but that's, but that's yeah, but Greece is probably more, so you know it's even hotter way than where you are at the moment. And Greece is beautiful, lovely, hot and sunny. So it had, I was just saying to Nigel before that we got in England. We don't have we don't have a climate. We have weather, literally. Mm -hmm. We do not, you cannot talk about the English climate because we don't have one. We just have weather and it's either kind of sunny or raining. I mean, I, you know, literally, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm getting to that point now. I've been locked up for so long now. Um, Greece, sounds, Greece sounds like a, a like a wonderful proposition. You, is, is that all simple? By the way, is that all simple to do now from America? Is that, are you all free to travel? And, and uh, This is my first big international trip since the pandemic. So we'll see how it goes. But we're, right. we're taking my friend's plane, so hopefully it makes things a little bit easier. So you don't have to, at the other end, you have to sit in the, well, you, I guess you've got a decent enough house, you can quarantine anywhere, right? Yeah, I think there's no quarantine there, which is nice. Um, so yeah, I'm going in for five days, short trip here and back. But I'm hopefully sending some sunshine your way. I'm going to send Thank the you. sunshine your way. I need it. I need it. I need it. So a couple of things here. First off the bat, where in Greece are you going? Mykonos. Love Mykonos. We're a big fan. Tom and I have been to Greece together many times. Oh, we travel around the world together. I have done since we were kids, actually. Um, and Greece, to, last time we were in Greece together was in Zakynos, um, where we, we took a house uh, with our families and, and had some fun there. But we're a big, big fan of Greece, beautiful part of the world. But you also dropped the, the little bomb just gently that you're traveling there in your friend's jet, um, which... <laughs> Uh, you know, just casual, casual from the United States, by the way, not just any jet, because this is, unless you're landing several times on your way to Greece, um, what kind of jet are you in? That's, your friend has a jet that can take you from California to Greece. Well, Ashley is coming from Canada to pick us up from L.A. We're going to make a stopover, Ashley, at Linden to pick up some more people. And then we're going to go over there. I think it's like a 747. It's a pretty bigger, big one. A 747, everyone, is a jumbo jet. Okay. I think also fit, it could potentially fit, like, it's supposed to be for like 150 people, and then they just remodeled it and into, there's like different rooms and bedrooms, I don't know. So I've never been on it my first time, so it'll be fun. I clearly have the wrong friends, Tom. Mate, I mean, we need to up the ante, for God's sakes. This is ridiculous. Come Kelly. join us. Come join us. Yeah, seriously, Kelly. Oh, yeah, Kelly, you are my new best friend, um, by the way. And, what are you guys uh, drinking? What, what are we drinking? Well, we know we always introduce our drinks at the very beginning, and I'm drinking a spiced uh, ginger margarita that I made myself with a, a lime chili uh, salt rim. And Tom, very depressingly, is in a hotel room, and all he could muster up is a vodka tonic out of the fridge. No, I went to the hotel cocktail, and I'm in, a, in one of these East English seaside hotels where they have they did have a cocktail on offer, and I tried I, I gave it a dry run earlier or, or a wet run, and it was so undrinkable that I've just settled for a vodka tonic. I'm afraid, not very interesting. Tom anyway, is incredibly what... depressed today. This is him. He's like miserable about his drink. It's in rainy England. On I'm, the... never miserable. I'm never miserable. I'm never, I... never miserable. Just the weather is miserable. Which yeah, yeah. We're going to move on from the weather. Kelly, I want to get into, you know, there's a lot going on with you. And, and certainly if I look up on all the different things you've certainly done, what have you, there's lots of interviews. People know about your shows and Bling Empire and you've done various interviews, but, but I'd love to find out, and I'd like, I want to get into that too, but I'd love to just, we, we love to get into the sort of the, the details of the person a little bit too. What makes you tick? And, you know, you are somewhat self-made. 
uh, you know, are you not? And, 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 you know, for your childhood, what did your childhood look like? You grew up in China, correct? Before you came to America. What, what was life like in China mm. when you were growing up as a kid? And, and just take us back there so we can kind of imagine what that might have been like. Yeah, so I was born in Kunming, China, which is a smaller town in the southern part of China. It's also called the Spring City because all the year round, the weather's kind of like L.A., where it doesn't uh, really get too hot. It doesn't really snow, but it's a lot more polluted <laughs> than L.A. Um, but growing up in China was, uh, it, it, I went to one of those experimental schools where there was five of them in the whole China. What You start in sixth grade, or six years old, you start uh, English, Japanese, Chinese. Everybody had their own computer. I was very advanced and very, very competitive. There were a lot of rules in the school um, that, you know, you had to raise your hand a certain way. When you go on field trips, you have to be in two lines, whole hands. Uh, you never really speak unless you're called on. So um, moving to the, and my whole family are in the medical field. So I always thought I was gonna be a doctor when I was grow, when I grow up. And when I moved to the US, because my mom wanted me to have a better education and more opportunities, she did anti-cancer research at UIC. Um, and worked at two other jobs at restaurants and just odd jobs to kind of support this, the immigrant life. Um, when I first moved out here, I was nine and a half years old and our first apartment was $250 at this area called Bridgeport, south side of Chicago. Um, I started fourth grade there and it was a whole newfound freedom that I didn't really know what to do with. Kids were just, you know, like being themselves and very creative and, um, was uh, you know you can raise your hand however you want. It was uh, it was definitely it was it was a difficult transition, but it was so amazing. And uh, the school I went to, I, I, I even though I started you know English at a young age, it was I still didn't really understand it. So learning the new language and learning the new culture, um, I went to the school I went to was mostly all Hispanic uh, from fourth grade to about sixth grade, and then seven and uh, and then seventh grade was mostly all African-American and then eighth grade on was majority Caucasian. <laughs> so I was kind of mixed all over. Amazing, crazy, unbelievable. You know, there's so many extraordinary stories of, I guess, immigrants moving to America, but the, some of the most extraordinary ones, which, we, which I feel like untold, are the ones from China mm. to America. You know, as it happens, and I, you know, I, I, my wife is Chinese, right? Okay. So she's from the Guangzhou area of oh, China. Yeah. Um, and her story is, you know, I mean, diff very different. I mean, an earlier and what have you. But uh, their, their, their family, her family, her grandmother moved, came over, and took, assumed the identity of someone else who had died on a boat from China to to the U.S. And um, actually, when she when she took the boat over. They something was wrong with her papers. They sent her back to China, and she got back on the boat and went again. It took several months in either direction, and this little girl um, actually assumed the identity of someone who died and, and and kept that identity her entire life until on her deathbed she released it. But you know, there's extraordinary stories of what people have done and how they, you know, dealt with it. And certainly coming from countries like China, um, you know, and obviously with all that's been going on politically in the world, you know, what with, you know, obviously the pandemic and everything, Asians in America, if not worldwide, have had a lot of issues, have had a lot of problems. Is this something that you've found has affected you, yourself, personally? Asian hate? Oh, my goodness. Uh, whew. 
That's a heavy question. Yeah. <laughs> it's obviously a very a topic that's very close to my heart. It's uh, um, you know, Asian hate crimes always been there, and then um, discrimination, racism has been going on for a very, very long time. I think in the recent years, you know, since 2020, there was a you know 1,900% increase on Asian hate crimes, and um, I'm just really happy that mass medias are picking up and um, more and more people are having conversation about it because that's really the first step, you know, is awareness and educate. Um, it's a topic I often very vocal about and I've uh, started also a, a fund um, with uh, this organization called Hate is a Virus and uh, we have a million dollar uh, goal. And I think the last time I checked was at, you know, almost 900K, so we're almost there. Um, but, you know, it's an issue that it's not something we can fix overnight. It's something that we're going to have to continue fighting for. But I really definitely believe that we are going in the right direction. But I do feel that there are so many extraordinary stories about Asian Americans and the struggles that they went through getting into this country and creating successful businesses, which they did, that need to be told. You know, for you, what, what are you looking for when you are looking for new product, you know, projects to, to create? those shows to put on? Yeah, that's such a great question. You know, it's been a topic that I couldn't be in my mind a lot lately because I, you know, when I start first start, I, I didn't grow up in the entertainment industry. I didn't know anybody in the entertainment industry. So when I was first start producing, it was a learning process. It's really kind of testing here and there and figure out what is the eventually I want to do, right? So now I finally feel like for me, my mission's always, it's been, oh, number one, I love true stories. There's so many amazing true stories out there. Like the one you just told about, your wife's grandma, like, I mean, that was incredible what you just said. And also um, things that are just, again, Asian representation and and telling those stories, um, diverse cast behind the camera and in front of camera. Like one of the things, you know, I, I think about is that we had this, uh, I don't know if you guys seen a movie called 21. Um, it was yeah. MIT that the kids were going uh, with beating Vegas. And that story, if you guys, I don't know if you guys know, but majority of the kids in real life are Asian. However, when his film was told, it was, you know, they got the characters all got changed to Caucasian. And that's not just the, you know, there's many other movies like that, but I think telling be authentic to your stories. And um, so that's what I'm really looking for. And then I always love character driven stories because the surface, of course, is story. The bottom line, the beneath it, the bottom of it is that why the, 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 the human side, like why do they did the way the thing they, they, they did or, um, like, what's the backstory? You know, I always want to dig deeper. What's the backstory? What motivates somebody to do something they do? Uh, I don't, I, even with villains, you, you want to, you know, everybody loves a good villain, but you always want to know why, right? So that's what I really am looking for um, for all my future projects. No, I mean, and it's fascinating. I mean, you know, the whole, obviously I've worked in entertainment my entire life. And I mean, although I'm not, Say, say Chinese, my family is from Asia as well, but a different part, Southeast Asia. So I'm from the, from my mother's from Sri Lanka. So there's a, you know, it's, it's a different part. And again, this is an interesting part of the conversation as well, because when people think of Asia, you know, in, in the United States, they definitely think more of China or, or and people say when someone's Asian, they're Chinese, the Indian community, again, falls into a sort of a, a sort of a silent kind of area. And it's, this is a cultural thing, is it not? The, the silence that falls behind this, like, do you not find that Asians in general are quite quiet about their suffering or, or perhaps what's happened to them? Oh. Definitely. It's an Asian culture. And that's also why, you know, with the Asian hate crimes, a lot of time it doesn't get reported um, because, you know, in our culture, we tend to like to hide things. We, what I call hiding your dirty laundry, you know, like uh, growing up, it's kind of like 
you put a front that everything is okay. You don't talk about your problems with even your family members sometimes because it's kind of there's a shame to it and there's kind of a, a pride that um, you want to seem like everything's okay. Um, and uh, you know, we need to talk about things. No, That's for sure. You talk about you talk about this a little bit in your own relationships. I know on Bling Empire with your, your your boyfriend and what have you, and he's Latin and you're Chinese and what have you. And it's funny because my family is this sort of mixture of of both British and Sri Lankan. My my father's English, but it's a very rowdy, a sort of like loud, you know, argumentative and and public family. You know, and everyone will just scream and shout at the table and what have you. And when I met my wife and my wife's family, uh, they're all Chinese in 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 Alabama. It was the complete opposite. Conversation at the table was the most polite and above board. no one would cross anyone and everybody and it was the and I, and I the whole time I was thinking wow this is fantastic this is amazing this is because I wasn't used to it but my wife on the other hand came to my family and she loved the fact that everyone was very honest with each other and would would discuss things and get stuff out off their chest you know what do you, do you see there's are there positives to being quiet and and, and quiet and also what, what are the positive and negatives of both sides of that because you're obviously clearly in one of that sort of relationship well, yourself so it wasn't wasn't kelly saying didn't you say it earlier on you know the difference in schooling when you had to put your hand up in a certain way yeah and conform and behave and then you went to you come to america and then you're you know, you can, you know, you can express yourself. So you've got the two different sides. It's the same as they I think similar to what Knives is talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, first of all, ex relationships. I just want to correct that before we move on. Um, but no, absolutely. I think for me, I prefer a mix of middle. To be honest, for me, I think one of the things when you don't talk about things, you're not solving them. So in the Asian culture, I have never seen my family, my 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 parents fight. Um, but everything gets sweeped under the rug. No issues ever talk about. Resentment start building up, misunderstandings start start building up, um, and that's that, that's not good. You know, as humans, we have to communicate our feelings and our emotions, and that was one thing I had a really hard time growing up. I never learned that. As easy as how to express your feelings and putting the words, I never learned that skill because we didn't talk about it. So, you know, as adult and getting into this relationship, I tend to be kind of closed off because I didn't know how to properly communicate. Um, but at the same time, the other hand is that when people are communicating in a in a crazy way and not be able to, I guess, put their emotion, process their emotions first and then speak so you can speak it in a term that the other person understand. I think, you know, with my uh, my last relationship, a lot of it was very explosive where, you know, he feels some, something and it just he just explodes. And I'm, I'm having a hard time observing, absorbing what he's trying to communicate. So I think there's a way to do it where you can kind of I guess, organize your feelings and be able to communicate in a very mature way. It's well, much easier said than done, of course. Talking about family and talking about all of this sort of stuff and personalization, you're on a show, right? So you've got this show, Bling Empire, but you're putting it all out there. It's a completely different thing for you. You've produced shows, you've been an entrepreneur, you're sort of a businesswoman. Most of that kind of stuff doesn't lead yourself to being on the other side of the camera. We've got a thing in common here. I'm a, I'm a fashion photographer, have been for years, but I was obviously the face of a show along with a few others called America's Next Top Model for years. And it is unusual, except I was on that side of things where you're, um, I was protected because I was like a judge. So I could control, but you're much more the face of, you're like you know, the, the being right in that. 
what was that like for you? What was that exposure like? For, I mean, tell us, obviously, eventually I know where it got to, but what was it like when you first did it? Was it very uncomfortable? It was definitely a, a challenge because like you said, I'm used to behind the camera. I'm used to like kind of doing things behind the camera and, and worrying about the business side of things. Um, originally, I actually wasn't going to be in front of camera for Blame Empire. I was only, you know, producing it and then, um, you know, kind of bring, bring my group of friends into, into the space. Uh, one thing led to another, obviously, was uh, I got talked into being in front of camera. It was definitely a challenge, but it was all, I'm so happy I did it because for me was, I, I realized how much I like to have control. <laughs> over things being a producer script a scripted producer you know the beginning middle and end of every project with reality I had to be present and be vulnerable and just trust the process and have I was not in the editing room once in season one I saw season one the exact same time when the whole world saw it so having that trust in your team and being able to being vulnerable I think was something that um it was such an amazing, amazing experience. And for me, in order for us to change our narrative, uh, we have to put it out there. And I think with the, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes about Asian culture. And um, this is the first time uh, we have an all Asian unscripted show on a mass media. Um, I, I know that we kind of have one chance to do it right, you, you know, but either, either commit to it, do it right, or, or don't do it. Every single cast member and friend that was on the show have put their life out there. We talk about fertility issues, we talk about uh, marriage issues, relationship issues, like a lot of stuff that's out there. Um, and, uh, you know, hopefully season two and three, we can keep expanding, you know, or a future, whatever future, however long we'll go to, hopefully we can keep expanding the narrative because the Asian culture is, is so much to cover. We can only cover a little bit of it and a little bit of our storyline and hopefully can expand to that. But um, I, again, I'm, I'm really, really happy I did it. Um, if we don't speak up and we don't kind of show our true self and be vulnerable, then we're, we're it's never gonna change. We've had Kevin Kwan on as a as a guest uh, on on uh, Shaken and Stirred show, and, and he obviously was talking about you know his books Crazy Rich Asians, which Bling Empire obviously is a nod to. Was he in any shape or form um, helping out or advising on on Bling Empire? He wasn't, but the whole thing actually started because I read that book. <laughs> so when I read the book, I was like, oh my god, these are all fictional characters, my friends, and. It's funny because you start guessing who they are, his character. And I, I'm sure he's had this plenty other times. People might have came up to like, is this character really inspired by this person or that person? Um, but, and then uh, that's the reason that, you know, how this idea and this show idea kind of came about. But of course the development process was not as easy as, uh, as, 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 as it seems. It, was, it took a very long time. And, um, you know, and I'm grateful that Jeff Jenkins, uh, who was a veteran in the unscripted world pretty much came, uh, saw this and believed in it and, uh, and then partnered up with me and then developed it even to another level, you know? Amazing. I, I, actually, I'm in book three of the Crazy Rich Asian uh, oh, series. Rich Asian Crazy Rich Girlfriends, right? Exactly. So I, I, I'm, a, I'm actually playing myself. So he actually interviewed me and uh, and then does a big photo shoot with, with, with uh, some of the cast members and they come and I'm flown to China and we do some big crazy photo shoot. So I said to him, you know, I've got to make a cameo. If you actually ever make it to, to, to movie number three, I want to be in it. He said, no, no worries. So uh, kind of fun stuff there. But, um, you know, yeah, look, I think it's it's definitely a moment for 
Asians on, uh, you know, in media in general. And, and, and you know, it's I've joked about how how few people there are in general from anywhere in Asia on television. In, you know, for, you know, forget about just Chinese. It's like if you look on at, on TV or in, in movies, the amount of heroes or the amount of you know just cast members who are Asian, you know, it's it's incredible. You know, there's so few. It's you know, I mean, when it comes to people from India, you know, I always joke like Sanjay Gupta on CNN, and there's like you know, I was on Top Model, but no one even knew I was Indian. You know, so they, that was like a hidden thing because my name doesn't sound it. You know, so there were, and there's like two others, you know, so it, it's, it's, and then why is that, do you think? Why is it that they, people from that part of the world tend to not be in media? Is it a choice physically? Are, are actors out there who are Asian, you know, are, are they trying to? Because when you look at the fashion industry with the modeling industry, it is a cultural thing again for families and for people not to enter that profession, period. Well, one, you are right. Asians are so underrepresented in mass media. Um, I, you know, the problem, I think there's many, many reasons for it. One of the things I think, you know, Hollywood, we have to look at Hollywood. Hollywood's still a business, right? And we need shows like Bling Empire, movies like Please Rich Asian that shows Hollywood Asians can make money and the Asian audience are gonna support it and um, and having that community. I, I just, I remember when Crazy Rich Asian came out, you know, the Asian communities were buying out theaters just to support us, you know? And I think that's one of the, the reasons. Number two is that we're super, uh, there was a lot of lack in Asian writers in writer's room. And um, so when uh, we don't have a voice, quote unquote, in the writer's room, because when the script is a map, right? The, that's, that's this first stage. And the roles that were available for Asians for a very long period of time, and you know, for men is Kung Fu, is nerds, and for Asian women, it's all very sexualized. You look at rush hours, you know, with the Asian parlors. Um, but now that I think uh, there are more and more representation, there are a lot of very, very, very talented Asian talents out there, again, in front of camera and back to camera. And we just need to create more opportunities for them create more chances, create more opportunities, um, and then we'll be more represented. Because, you know, like I think you mentioned where your wife uh, growing up, she, her look didn't seem as quote unquote beauty standard, right? The, 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 the full lips, which now everybody blow their, you know, do injections at full lips. Um, and then I think, you know, growing up for me, I also I didn't have role models to look up to, you know, on television, in movies, uh, in mag on magazine covers, I've always, I wish, I'm like, why didn't I look like them? I wish I had bigger eyes or I wish I had, you know, smaller nose or higher nose bridge. And, you know, even when this is like, I think it was like, like maybe end of middle school, beginning high school when my friends and I were playing game, like, oh, let's pick, you know, pick celebrities that you look like. I'm like, well, I got Lucy Liu or Lucy Liu to pick from. Like, I love her, but I want more choices. You know, and um, I think right now with more Asian projects and having more Asian in front of camera talents and role models for uh, these younger generation, it is so important just because then they can relate to somebody that looks like them. You know, growing up, you know, in the 70s in England, I was one of the few kids of, of, of mixed, you know, heritage. And 
you know, our kids, my kids are, you know, their parents are mixed. So it's, we're, we're mixed and now they're double mixed, right? So it's like that now my kids have Chinese and Sri Lankan and European and Norwegian and Russian, and they're all kind of everything other than black and Arab my kids have, right? So next generation could have that as well. I mean, they will be properly United Nations at that point. But, you know, you know, it's a sort of the modern child cocktail, if you like, of what, what what's possible. But there is this sort of, I guess, underlying issue. And the reason why I'm bringing it up is because we're talking a lot here about, for example, you know, Stop Asian Hate or Black Lives Matter or, or you know, you know, bringing awareness to certain communities and showcasing communities like the Chinese Americans or Chinese people on television, on media. But then there is a, there's just a, there's another whole layer to this of people who don't fit in anywhere. Right. And just to take it back a minute, when I, I as a young man myself, and this is 20 years, 20 odd years ago, I was a model. I modeled in, in, in the United States and I came to the US and I used to work with Ralph Lauren and all these different. I had long hair, a lot slimmer than I am today, completely different. But the interesting thing is, is that they would ask casting directors would say they're looking for someone who is Hispanic, Latin, Chinese, black and white. You had to fit into one of those. You couldn't be, I'm half this and half that. Mm. That wasn't an option. Mm. And um, and actually, taking it back even further, my mother, who I mentioned was Miss Sri Lanka in 1967, had her crown taken away because she was part European. And at the time, back then, in the Miss World competition, you had to be 100% Sri Lankan. You couldn't be wow. of any other blood. So this concept of being not pure or not part full something is something that's, that has been going on for a long time in various different ways. It's, it, 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 it seeps into things. But there, it's, it's just another conversation in this conversation of colour and of race and of you know issues that people grow up with that is again not spoken of and we were talking about how asian hate that the conversation is is seems to be somewhat new publicly but has been simmering underneath for 100 plus years if not longer but there there's other issues as well amongst all of this where both sides are you know i, I felt as growing up as a kid that both the sri lankan community didn't accept us because my mother had married an Englishman, and then the English community didn't accept us because my father had married a Sri Lankan woman. And we were the sort of offspring left in the middle that didn't have any friends because neither side would talk to you, right? Wow. So there's, and I, you know, a lot of this conversation when we talk about this sort of stuff, to your point, we're all human underneath. Mm -hmm. and, and that is the sort of the part where oftentimes I think we, especially Hollywood, you know, we, we sort of forget, we make movies all about Chinese people, we make movies all about this, we make a movie about slavery, whatever it might be, but instead of sort of thinking, how do we cast people because they're talented, mm -hmm. you know, um, versus because of the color of their skin, is, there, is, there, is, there, is that something that you feel that you want to embrace or you're trying to fix or you're, how did, what, what's your thought process? Because obviously you're someone who has, to some extent, some kind of control in that narrative in, in making films and, and what have you? Well, hopefully one of the things you mentioned is that, you know, not feeling like you belong because you, you don't know which race you're kind of going to, hopefully in the future, for ge future generations, both sides will be like, you are included on our side. We love you, you're in our community. And then they have belonging in both communities and hopefully, you know, more. 
Um, but as far as, you know, Hollywood goes, I think having a diverse cast, it is very important in, again, in front of cameras and behind a camera. Um, but also for me, one of the things I, I really want to do is because the, because a lot of the projects I pick are true stories. So I want to stay authentic as possible to uh, the characters who they're playing. Um, you know, just like earlier when I made an example about 21, um, if the if in real life this person they're playing is Asian, I would love to be able to put an Asian person on the in, in the role and not think about, oh, because it might not make more money or whatever it is. Um, so I, 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 for me, I, I just wanna tell true stories. I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna get raw with a lot of things. I wanna, um, I wanna take some of the filter off and that's a lot of the, some of the smoke and mirror off. What do you make, so in England, there's a, the, the interesting what you say about the 21 thing, because in England it's been taken to a completely different level, where you've got this thing at the moment that's a very popular television programme called Bridgerton, that's come on English TV, which, yeah, which is an 18th century, uh, it's a sort of 18th century story of, you know, 18th century um, stately life and the upper classes in England using black actors, which is which is historically wouldn't have been is, is totally inaccurate, right? But I think you're transcending the kind of why have the stereotypical black actor? What you know, um, let's not stereotype, let's forget the stereotypes, let's put a black actor in it, which, which historically is kind of like it, it, it does take a lot to get your head around because you're, you're sitting there thinking, well, hang on a minute, historically, you don't, you don't, black actors, black people represented in an 18th century English drama generally don't tend to be who they're being presented as at the moment, which is the opposite of what you're saying about the 21 thing, but you know, you want to be authentic. So yeah. I- But also they also have had Taylor Swift's music in the background, you know, yeah. on that show. Um, you know, I think that shows a fantasy and that's a little bit different than when you're telling a true story. 20, 20, uh, 21's based off true characters where there is, you know, they pick from it, but it's still a fantasy. There's no right or wrong doing it in a sense, but for no. me, um, you know, I actually, I didn't actually finish watching Bridgerton. I, I saw one or two episodes and, um, you know, but they also had Taylor Swift pop music in, in the background. Exactly. I, I love to talk about a little bit. You do a lot of extraordinary um, work for organizations like UNICEF and you became international ambassador for Prince Harry's charity, Well Child. Talk to us about that. I mean, what, what is Well Child doing? Well, child, um, you know, I haven't, it was really hard for me at a time because I, I didn't live locally. So I did a lot of their galas and fundraisings and um, helped raise money for, uh, for the organization, which uh, supported sick children in the UK. So they did research, research as well as um, sometime with kids, they, you know, they're not doing super well. And instead of them having to live their last however long in a hospital, um, the organization will give them the support and the resource for them to be at home with their family and still have the proper care they need. Um, that organization was, uh, you know, um, I worked on it for a couple of years and then it became a little bit hard where at the gala, there's this one gala, so there's gala throughout the year, but there's one gala in April where the kids will actually come, come to, uh, to it and then, uh, you know, and they talk about their experiences and it's really hard because the next year you might not see you know, if you connected with the kid or two that next year, they might not be there anymore. Um, and then for me, I wanted to be a little bit more hands-on. I, but it was because of distance, it was very hard for me to be more hands-on other than just kind of help putting the gala together and selling the tables and bring sponsors in. And, you know, basically just help bring the finance in. 
Um, but then there's other uh, nonprofits I worked with, kind of like Pencils of Promise, and that's out of New York. Uh, it's uh, Adam Braun, Scooter Braun's brother founded. That organizations, I was a little bit more hands-on where I was able to go to Guatemala and go to these local areas and, you know, really work with locals and uh, build schools and, um, you know, help the kids more hands-on. So um, there's a lot of really great causes, you know, in, in the world that, and then uh, for me, just, it's, it's, I really, what's really I'm passionate about is just kids and especially in underdeveloped countries. Amazing. No, you do extraordinary work and, and congratulations on all that you do in so many ways. I mean, you're on the advisory board for the Chinese Children's Initiative for UNICEF. And uh, I, I know you've, you've done just a, a lot of amazing good, which is so, so important and incredibly inspirational. Look, before we let you go, you've been very generous with your time. I love this conversation, by the way. Thank you for letting us go a little deeper than we often do on, on Shaken and Stirred. And we like to mix it up. We never know what we're going to do with our guests. We, we, you know, we just take it as it is. It's a real conversation. People get to know how people tick, what's happening in their lives. And it's, it's the real world, people. So sometimes conversations get a little heavy, especially over a cocktail. Um, um, but we like to lighten things up at the very end. We have something called Last Orders, which is a sort of rapid fire question moment, which is pretty easy, pretty simple. And I've got some fun ones for you here. I'm going to start with um, the simple question. What are you passionate about? Ooh, so much. Um, you know what? I'm passionate about making this world a better place. That would be the short answer. Good one, too. I mean, then why not? You know, what's your favorite food? Spicy, anything spicy. Just load it up. Spicy noodle, no, noodles all day long, every day. So Chinese spicy or, or Mexican spicy or Asian or Indian spicy or it doesn't matter? I love all kinds of spicy. The only thing is that wasabi, just like, I'm not really good at wasabi kind of spicy, but everything else I can do. That horseradish will get you every time. Yeah, it's uh, the most thing I just can't get used to. <laughs> what gets your goat and what floats your boat? What gets my what? <laughs> it's, it's an English expression. What gets your goat it means what upsets you and what 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 do you hate and what do you like? What gets your goat? What floats your boat? Um, inconsiderate people and selfish people. Uh, and just and then what flows my boat are just caring and passionate people. Nice. Okay. In the movie of your life, and you've kind of done this in Bling Empire. In the movie of your life, who would you have play you? Oh my goodness. Ah, Gemma Chan. Oh, okay. There you go. And the last and easiest question of all, shaken or stirred? Shaken. I like it extra bruised, so just got to shake it up really hard. There you go, people. She likes a dirty martini. Kelly, me, Lee, thank you very, very much for coming on the Shaken and Stirred show. When can we next see you on Bling Empire? Are you working on a new episode, new season? We are filming right now, so hopefully we'll be able to um, share our journey with more of the world. Fantastic. Everybody, stay tuned to at Shaken and Stirred Show on Instagram. And we'll be talking about the new episodes of Bling Empire coming up, as well as this episode with Kelly Mealy. We really appreciate having you on here. And you can follow Kelly on Instagram as well at, at Kelly Mealy with an I and an I, right? It's, it's Kelly. <laughs> So why and two eyes? Why and two eyes? It's all rather confusing, but it's it's there, and you'll you can find it if you put it in. I did, so you can too. Um, we really appreciate it. You look wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us and, and being such a great sport and answering all our crazy questions. Cheers. Cheers.
And Tom, I hope the weather gets better and enjoy with yeah. you. And you, you yeah, need another drink, Tom. You need another drink. I know, literally. I can't share this empty. I'm like so depressed. I'm going to have to get out of the bar before they, <laughs> they probably shut <laughs> Thank you very much for listening. That is Shaken Instead. We will be back next week with another podcast and another fantastic guest. And uh, stay safe. See ya.